Welcome to the Lighthouse Conversations, a show featuring entrepreneurs and tastemakers from the worlds of art, culture, tech, and of course, food. I'm your host, Hasha Montasser. Today, we're talking tech, specifically fintech, with our guest, Munir Nakhla, the co-founder of Egyptian startup Halan. Halan started out as a ride-sharing platform, specifically for two- and three-wheelers, but they've since pivoted to a financial processing backbone comprising of a digital wallet, bill payments, e-commerce with Buy Now, Pay Later, known as BNPL, as well as issuing consumer loans. Since Monir is based out of Cairo, we jumped on a Zoom call to talk about what motivated him to take his company through a major pivot, as well as what he's like as a leader, discussing both his strengths and weaknesses. Monir, a pleasure to, uh, to have you here on the podcast. Uh, this is my second attempt to, to pin you down, so I'm glad I was successful this time. I'm, uh, I'm so happy we made it, Hashem. You know, I'd do anything for you. Yeah. <laughs> you're very kind. Look, I'm going to jump right in because we have a lot to cover and you're a busy man. Um, while I was preparing for this podcast, the first thought that came to my mind was a couple of years ago, actually pre-COVID, uh, I remember seeing you at the lighthouse. You were coming to Dubai for a couple of days and having a quick meal before you go to one of your uh, venture capital meetings. And at the time, the focus was on doing essentially the Uber of of TukTok, so to speak. And you were excited about it, and you, in fact, raised some money around it. It was very successful. Fast forward COVID and a few years later, and now you have a super app, um, with many different uh, pieces that have brought you to where you are. First of all, congratulations. I mean, you guys have clearly have not have been very busy, have gotten a lot done. I'm using that example because I think it gives us a point, starting point, perhaps uh, to, to, to start from and to where you're going. My first question to you is, how did you land from essentially what was a mobility play to today what looks more like a fintech slash mobility slash super app. How did that, how did that happen? So uh, I remember that day at the lighthouse and I was uh, very eager to raise uh, a few million dollars and uh, uh, successfully we managed to do so at the time. My, my story starts uh, uh, with a background in lending, microfinance, uh, SME development, but mostly lending, and with a big, big focus on the unbanked population. And uh, I had established a few companies uh, in 2010 and 2014 that focused on uh, consumer financing and business loans. In 2017, I got approached by uh, one of the seed investors of Gojak, uh, which was then a, bil- a $1 billion uh, company. And he told me, you know, Gojak, is a unicorn and your companies are worth a fraction of that. Can and, you just, uh, Munir, to interrupt you, just for the audience, where is, can you give us a background? Where is the company? Because it's not here in our region. So Gojak is in uh, Indonesia. Yeah. It merged with the Tokopedia and now it's uh, valued at $30 billion uh, combined. So it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's a big success. Back then it was just, it had ju- just hit the unicorn status. And they were they started off doing ride hailing for with two and three wheelers. I was uh, I had I was selling twenty five percent of Egypt's three wheelers at the time, and I thought okay it might make sense to uh, to invest in technology. Technology 
was very clear that it was the path of the future. Operational scalability, uh, machine learning, AI, automated decisions, instant gratification for users. So there was a lot that came with investment in technology. I don't have any background in technology. So the first course of action back in 2017 was uh, to find a partner, a co-founder, who is also a CTO. And uh, very successfully, I met Ahmad Mohsen, who uh, is one of the most talented engineers in Egypt and possibly in the region. Uh, I tried to pitch to him the idea of ride-hailing. He thought that uh, most of the underserved communities wouldn't have a mobile phone. But uh, successfully, I managed to convince them, and we launched Highland as a ride-hailing company. By 2019, I had realized that uh, uh, it was very tough to nail the unit economics. It was, uh, I couldn't see a path to profitability with the ride-hailing. Uh, and some of the biggest companies in the world are still using yeah. billions of dollars. I, I was going to get to that. So, so that problem, I mean, you know, we have obviously very big success story here in the region of Uber acquiring Karim. Uh, and up until today, even at the Uber Holdco level, there are still question marks whether this model on unit economics can actually work standalone. Now, if you pack in other things, maybe. So was that something you recognized at the individual level in terms of Halan? I just want to kind of your typical founder is a bit optimistic. So was your instinct, you know, I don't think the economics of this thing can work and therefore we need to think broader? Or was the question, was the point, uh, you know what, let me just try to scale it right as fast as I can and see what happens? So we were scaling. We, we had reached millions and millions of rides per month. So scaling was uh, Not your no issue. issue. Not an issue, but... The minute I put the brakes on the driver incentives or the minute I do a price increase, the numbers were slashed by double-digit percentages. And that was too much, which basically meant that the, the, the user and the driver are only using it because I'm paying a premium to the normal rates. The conclusion is, uh, uh, what value are we adding? What it did is it, it generated a lot of traffic on the app. What it did is we gave developed you a lot of... It gave us data, but monetizing it was challenging. Okay. And me, uh, I was... At some point, we were losing a million dollars a month. And uh, although a lot, of, a lot of investors were pushing me to grow further... Uh, not think of the unit economics, not think of the bottom line, just grow, grow, grow. I resisted that thought at the time. And I I said, and I have to admit that I've I've always been a strong believer of uh, providing uh, financial services to the unbanked. And it's something that I had, I was, uh, I had a lot, a lot of experience in and Coupling this with technology and providing uh, loans cons- for businesses, loans for consumers, providing payment services for uh, tens and tens of millions of Egyptians made much, much more sense uh, at the time. And that, at that point, uh, I embarked on the journey of putting uh, uh, a lot of the uh, initiatives and companies I had created 
including Highland under one umbrella, MNT Highland. And just, Manish, I want to zoom into this moment because I think it's very pivotal in how the company changed. And I think it's very interesting to get a founder's perspective. You have some of your backers telling you, go, 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 don't worry about unit economics now. At that point, you had successfully uh, raised some money, so fine, there's a cash burn, but it's not a huge issue at that point still. You embark on this pivot, essentially, um, and taking a risk. I want to hear first, what were your backers telling you when you when you gave them your new version, version 2.0? What was the reaction? It wasn't a very straightforward uh, uh, pitch. So I had, uh, I, I remember it was uh, uh, August, September of 2019. And uh, I had been trying uh, month over month to uh, reduce incentives, uh, work on my pricing, and, and it, it wasn't coming in. And I had a big conversation with Ahmed. And I told him, Ahmed, look, uh, there is no back-end processing system in Egypt that can support uh, millions of people pinging it simultaneously. So uh, what, uh, I, what I want you to start working on is uh, a back-end system uh, for lending that can scale. But uh, at that point, uh, it was a big decision because what I did is I cut spending on, on ride-hailing. We started growing our tech team uh, for, uh, to solve for uh, lending. Yeah. Simultaneously, I was having conversations with the new investors, with the investors of every company I had established uh, previously, because I was trying to put them under one umbrella. And that was, it wasn't an easy endeavor. Uh, some of the VCs that were uh, taking part of the Highland round, some pulled out and some doubled down. Okay. So uh, I got, I got uh, different uh, messages some of the VCs that were in the, some of the smaller VCs had me pitch to their LPs. So I, I, wasn't, I wasn't even pitching to the VCs. I was pitching to the LPs by idea. And, <laughs> to explain and to back, them. To explain to them what I see in the market. And really, one had to have a leap of faith because back then, I, I just saw how it should be. And... Uh, I, I had to let everyone see it, and it wasn't there yet. And basically, the tech team spent about 18 months uh, building Neuron, our back-end uh, loan tracking payment software, payment processing software. And, uh, and then from a, a, a corporate point of view, I had to bring in new investors, bigger investors that believed in the in, in uniting everything together, and they supported us uh, in this deal. And if I didn't have these big checks, it would have been quite complicated. And it's important to say that I got hit with COVID, uh, or the, the whole world got hit with COVID in 2020. So imagine uh, September 2019, I, I embark on the pivot, and, and I get hit with... with uh, so it's been, a, a, it's been a hell an of a exciting... Ride. <laughs> it's been an exciting, it's been an exciting ride, I have to admit. It's That's been an, an exciting ride. 
So you are building the back uh, back end of this neuron. Um, you are uniting all the front ends essentially under one umbrella. But now you're not starting from scratch, right? In other words, you have a database of unbanked that you can now go to and show this thing, right? It's not like you're building the back end and a pure, pure startup. And now day one, you're coming to Hashem and saying, would you be interested in a loan? You have already a, a, a market, a captive audience. You just have to kind of transfer them onto this new platform. Am I right? So basically a number of things are happening, right? So the back end is one solution because right. it's proprietary developed. It's it's like linking you to your banking system, right? So you can see your account, you can see how much you owe and your next installment. If you want to make a payment, you can make a payment, whether it's a person to person, peer to peer, or you're paying a bill or it's cash in, cash out, all these services you can do. But uh, w- what was... Uh, what was special is that we also worked on the back end and the user app. So in the user app, we, we, we have an e-commerce platform where you can use your uh, consumer finance limit to buy stuff on it. Uh, we've linked offline to thousands of merchants where you can pay using your Highland consumer finance limit at these merchants who are offline, but they have a vendor app. So in terms of tech products, what we're really creating is an ecosystem uh, that uh, includes a user app, a merchant app. Uh, we even have an app for loan officers. So we have tens of thousands of uh, loan officers who have uh, a loan officer app. And, it's, uh, and we're working on all, all things that have to do with banking, right? So lending, payments, uh, saving, we can't do uh, directly because we don't have a license from the CBE. You're not regulated. But there are, uh, uh, only banks can do savings, but now there's new regulation that could allow us and might allow us. Uh, we're uh, also working on uh, uh, consumer financing, buy now, pay later, supply chain financing, disrupting specific supply chains in specific industries. We've got hundreds of, so we've in our, in our history, we've had financial transactions with more than 4 million Egyptians. Active, we've got 800,000, 900,000 active borrowers. So you're talking about a scale uh, that's quite uh, big in Egypt. We're seeing more and more startups these days explore and break away from the traditional ways of finance. This is opening up a new facet of financial support for consumers. This is something I'd spoken about on a previous episode with Rajal Mazroui, who, as an executive VP of DIFC's FinTech Hive, was overseeing a Dubai-based accelerator that helps startups do just that. The program was designed to bring, um, to identify, first of all, the challenges of the financial institutions in this region. And at the same time, scan the global map and see what developments are actually happening at the global scale. So, and this was the main idea of bringing the local banks, the regional banks, and the global banks. And once we agree that these are the priorities for this region, we as FinTech Hive start scouting and looking for the startups all over the world that would be able to solve these problems. So give us a sense, what are these priorities, Yani, just to get a sense? So payments is a very popular area because 
as you can see today, in post-COVID, everyone is switching to digital, contactless, cashless type of payments. And to get the bank to actually offer these facilities takes them a very long time. So it's best for them to collaborate or partner with a fintech who already have this amazing technology with amazing user experience interface that anyone in the market would just download on the phone and do the transaction and have the bank in the background to support the regulatory element or the functional element. So this is the power of the uh, FinTech. Other areas where uh, regulatory requirements, for example, the uh, KYC on the blockchain uh, was a very popular uh, challenge that I am so proud of. One of the startups that came to our program in 2017 has been able to uh, solve and is already working with more than 10 financial institutions in the UAE doing their KYC on the blockchain. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Munir about the changes facing the loan sector and how much of a challenge this poses to a business like Halen. That's right after the short break. Welcome back. I'm Hashem Montasser, and you're listening to the Lighthouse Conversations with our guest, Munir Nakhla. Can I just um, put here a few scenarios forward that I think are important? You know, um, and this is by no means takes away from what you've done, which I think is, is very impressive. And the, the, the back end that you're uh, building, uh, I think will probably, I want to ask a few questions about that in a minute in terms of its final usage. But before I go into that, I want to put forward the scenario which we're in now, which where you have rising interest rates, inflation across the world. And of course, in Egypt, on top of that, also potential, uh, you know, already a mini devaluation of the Egyptian pound and maybe more. You know, when you look at some of the models globally, I mean, everything that's growth come under attack in public markets, even in private markets. But the buy now, pay later models, the firms of the world, so to speak, have been especially under attack because and the upstarts and so on. People are concerned that with an rising rate environment, all of a sudden, you know, uh, the, the going is tougher. Uh, you're going to see more defaults. Uh, consumers will start defaulting. They have taken on more debt they can afford, etc., uh, etc. Et um, is is the macroeconomic environment a concern for you? And if so, how do you not hedge but protect yourself uh, in that kind of environment? So, Hashem, let me tell you that uh, we are very, very resilient to the macro environment, uh, macroeconomic environment. So. Our model is uh, the average loan size grows, is hedged to inflation, or it's linked, it's correlated to inflation. Okay. So as prices go up, the businesses need more working capital, the consumer needs more money, and therefore they uh, get bigger loan sizes, and, and we make a lot more interest income uh, from our loans. So this is number one. Number two, our model is very different to your typical buy now, pay later model abroad in terms of margins. So what your typical company would do uh, abroad is that they would tell the customer, uh, money was typically for free. So interest rates were 0%, 1%, 2%. They would get a merchant rebate, let's say 5%, 6%, 7%. And they would make that spread. With a rising interest rate, 
the margin on the products do not increase. So they're just eating up from their margin. Yeah, it's shrunk. It shrunk. So me from day one, uh, uh, Egypt's uh, cost of funds are in the 9-10%. So anyway, your your merchant rebate will n- never cover uh, your inter- your cost of funds. So from the very, very onset, my focus is I'm going to do it with very, very positive unit economics. So I coupled buy now, pay later by getting merchant rebates. I was getting merchant rebates uh, together with a consumer finance product where I'm getting interest from consumers. And the the NIMS are uh, very, very healthy. And the the cost of risk is very, very low. So uh, by NIMS, just for our our listeners, you mean net interest margin, which is essentially the spread between the borrowing and the lending. Fine. Now, do you take anything on your own balance sheet? In other words, are any of these loans show up on your company or is that offloaded? You are just the middleman taking a spread. So basically, we're offloading. So basically, we've just uh, signed a, a securitization uh, that will probably hit the news quite soon. Uh, the, and we're offloading. Uh, those loans. Off- You're packaging those loans oh. and then selling them off, essentially. Correct. So we're offload. So we have a, a loan book of about six hundred million dollars in total, and we're we're offloading it. We signed a securitization to offload it all uh, over a number of consecutive transactions. It looks like a very resilient model, like you said, clearly successful. What what keeps you up at night? So what worries you? So uh, I have a three-year-old. He keeps on coming into our room and he, he keeps me up at night. But uh, other than that, I'm very, very bullish. And I think uh, uh, combining uh, technology with uh, uh, positive unit economics, with high profitability, with operational scalability is, is uh, quite a unique proposition. And these types of companies will be very, very special in the new world. So 2022 is not 2021, and it's certainly not 2019. So I think uh, we are uh, very, very uh, well positioned for the new world. Do you see yourself borrowing a page from uh, Jeff Bezos or from Amazon, where they typically have taken a cost center, you know, and they build the product, and then they essentially they turned it into a revenue center. What I mean by that is you've now built or are building, in fact, you know, a very elaborate back-end system for, let's call it, financial processing, right? And transactions across the entire uh, uh, financial services uh, value chain. Uh, is there a possibility that this would be something you'd offer to outside customers? So in other words, if I'm... Certainly. A- Okay. Certainly, certainly. So we are, we are, uh, we are in, a, in a conversation with one of the uh, medium-sized banks in Egypt, and I'm not talking about uh, a lending company or a payment company, I'm talking about a bank. Commercial bank. To you, commercial bank, to use our uh, back-end software. So, so uh, there's a lot to be done there, and I think there's, we can capitalize a lot on that. So this you know, is a bit of like what reminiscent of what we've seen with 
something like AWS and Amazon, right? It started as a cost center because they needed the data, they needed the data rooms for their own services. And eventually they essentially built a business around it that they're offering that same service of cloud service essentially to outside customers. Now, do you think that if you do something similar here, when inshallah it becomes the AWS <laughs> in and by itself, but do you, because to me, intuitively, the first customer uh, is very important because if you can get a commercial bank or medium-sized commercial bank, reputable bank to use your service and come back and say, you know what, this service really works and scales, all of a sudden, many others uh, that may not want to take the risk are able to tick that box to their compliance officers, technology officers, board, et cetera, and come on board. Do you, do you envisage that kind of process? Certainly. It's something that certainly uh, might unfold. Walk me through some of the other challenges. For example, uh, talent. How easy is it to find? I mean, you, you need an army of engineers but you also need the business development uh, officers or salespeople. You need all sorts of type of people. I mean, how do you go about doing your recruitment? So we've been on a hiring spree. Uh, Ahmed typically likes to uh, onboard and recruit uh, uh, fresh graduates. Uh, he thinks it's better to uh, mold them and, and form them in the way he likes to program. We've got about a uh, hundred tech engineers today. Uh, it's uh, it's it's not that straightforward. So talent is scarce. They're being. Uh, however, I have to admit that our churn is very, very, very low. So all the people that started with us are still with us. And that's- The thing uh, is because you're giving them a valuable skill or because it's a pleasant place to work or because you pay above market or, or all of the above, or, you, or maybe you pay reasonably. Any, what do you think keeps them? So I think it's all of the above, but, amongst, but chief amongst them is that they're constantly learning. So uh, they're constantly learning and that's very, very big for them. And two- I think a lot of them strongly believe in the direction and the vision of the company, uh, which is setting out to do something very unique. Do they get to participate in the upside? In other words, do you give options or equity out to employees? Of course. It's, 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 it's one of the... Uh, when I introduce them, it's life-changing uh, for uh, even the environment and the culture in the company because... Every person feels he's a shareholder. Every person feels he's a partner. So the greater good will always become a priority to individual goals. So uh, jealousy becomes less, competition becomes less, uh, collaboration becomes more, uh, uh, communication becomes better because they're all working for a common goal. It becomes one team. Understood. And within a, 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 let's call it a super app, within a super app model, you've talked to me now about the fintech piece and the, the you know, that is very important. Are there, I mean, presumably if you've got my attention and I interact with your app several times a day as it is, you want to sell me other things. So what else is there that's up on your priority list? Okay. So, so obviously, uh, uh, this is something that we're constantly working on and constantly solving for, right? Because 
getting you on the app once a week or once a month is not as good as getting you on the app every day. 100%. The e-commerce platform, we've seen a lot of engagement and repeat engagement on the platform, especially once you have a limit uh, of spending that you can use there. Bill payments is also a regular uh, use case. Peer-to-peer transfer is uh, a regular use case. And we attempted a game. Verification, uh, okay. A game, just, just a game. We, we, we attempted a game in Ramadan, and that was a big, big, big success. So everyone who played the game, played the game again and again and What's again. What's the game? Uh, it's, it's a trivia game. Okay. Q&A. Okay. Uh, so uh, he played it again and again and again. And what we realized, we got 30% conversion into commerce, loans, and payments. And did you so, charge for the game or was for free? The game's for free. Okay. Uh, uh, on the country. So we, we gave prizes for the game. Okay. If, you, if you are number one, two, or three, you get a prize. And now the game is... Uh, so it was just a, an experiment, and I believe it was very, very successful. Now we took it off the app, and we're coming in with the 2.0 of the game uh, in June. So it's just uh, uh, something that we're uh, uh, playing around with because ride hailing was creating a lot of engagement of the app. It's a, it keeps the app top of mind, uh, regular use case, daily usage. And what we started doing is we pulled the plug from ride hailing on the 1st of March, and that's what we were doing, substituting ride hailing with something where you don't lose money, which is a game. And that, that, as an experiment, I have to admit that was very, very successful. And ride hailing will no longer be part of your app? No longer. Took us two years, eh? two years to be able no, to No, I that. can imagine. I mean, you know, it must be a diff- difficult yeah. decision. Ultimately, it's one of your babies, right? I mean, you know, but yeah. I think there's also uh, obviously prioritization and there's scarcity value in terms of real estate, ultimately, on the app. If you look at, at places like uh, your friends in Indonesia, like the PayPal's of the world, I mean, there's some direction of some markets that are more developed uh, from a tech perspective than we are. Um, do you take those as your kind of lead when you're thinking about what else to put on the on the app or what else could work? Or are you trying to solve for problems that are potentially, you know, very much uh, symptomatic of our region, let's say Egypt and beyond. We'll talk about the beyond in a minute. So obviously we need to know what's going, what's happening around the world. Every country has its own uh, specifics. Uh, and and what we try to nail is what, we have a very, very clear strategy. And the strategy uh, is to create an ecosystem around providing financial solutions for unbanked and underbanked and uh, we look at uh, three levels so uh, consumer retailer and wholesaler and our solution uh, our solutions are all revolving around them and their day-to-day interactions so the more we study them and then of course there are sector specific so we are There are specific sectors that we are now uh, investing more and more in them, whether through uh, M&A or directly. So we're getting more and more sector specific. So, uh, But uh, the more you create this digital ecosystem, the harder it is 
for the person or the entity to leave the ecosystem. Are you eyeing particular markets outside of Egypt? We are. Is there anything you can disclose or something you're still working on? There is one country in Asia, similar demographic, larger population. That was my question. Is that what you look for? You solve for a similar demographic? I'm looking for, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm looking for certainly. I'm looking for a similar demographic. So, so it's the numbers, right? We we we're, 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 we want to get to the numbers. So, Egypt, we have 105, 110 million people, most of which are uh, underbanked or unbanked. So, we're looking at Africa, east and west, and there are specific targets. Uh, our strategy uh, is mostly through M&A, but possibly through greenfield as well. If we uh, pivot to one second here and talk about Munir <clears throat> for a quick minute, if you look at yourself as a founder and as a CEO of a company, uh, what do you rate as your strengths and what are your weaknesses? In other words, I mean, I can go on and on about myself if you're ever interested, but it's for another podcast about the things that I think I'm good at doing day to day, running a company, and the things that I frankly would rather not do, or maybe I'm forced to do in the early stages of the company, but eventually want to outsource. How do you see yourself in that regard? I mean, where are the areas that you feel most comfortable with? Is it more strategy, business development, fundraising, or more the nitty-gritty day-to-day operations or a combination of the two? Uh, I think one of my strengths are finding the gap in the market, finding the corner, seeing what needs to be done to different users or companies. So I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. Scanning the, the market, uh, and seeing what we can do to to fill that gap, I think I am uh, good at communication. So uh, whether uh, creating a culture and communication. So uh, this is within the company, and, and the also world. and with also your, to the external world. So I, think, uh, I think this is uh, communication is important. Before getting into the weaknesses, I think another strength. Uh, I think I have is delegation. So organization structure and delegation. Uh, building a company is a very dynamic thing, right? So the company uh, I started in 2010 is not 2015, is not 2018, it's not 2022, and it's not 2030. So it's very dynamic. So it needs constant change. And, and uh, I like driving change and I like driving growth. So what excites me is growing. The minute we start stagnating or on any business line, uh, I get depressed. You know, it's, it's, it's emotional. <laughs> I know it's the feeling. <laughs> yeah, I, I like just keep on growing and growing and growing. It's, it's something healthy, in a healthy manner. Uh, what, uh, uh, what I'm uh, less comfortable with doing or my weaknesses uh, are uh, uh, is becoming very, very technical on a specific subject matter. So, uh, and this is where the team comes in and where this is where the, they, they help a lot in every technical issue. In giving a lot of time uh, to something that's, uh, that's too detailed and someone else can pay attention to that. Yeah, and frankly, that's not the job. I mean, you're not paid to do that, right? You're not taped to go too super granular in a particular technical issue. You should grasp yeah. the, 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 ba- the main pieces, and that's yeah. it. Responding to emails, that's a weakness <laughs> of mine. I'm not good at responding to emails. 
So uh, this the, the entire fewer... conversation has been on WhatsApp or else I bombard you with the call. But uh, I have my own tricks. Uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that's another weakness of mine. Uh, Okay. I'm no, sure I, there are lots and lots. No, no. Of I think I'm just weaknesses. curious. And, and I'm sure there are lots of other weaknesses. Yeah. Like, no. Uh, I, I mean, look. That's. I. I just wanted to get a, and give our listeners an overall sense of the kind of personality because obviously it's something we all go through. Now, on a day to day, I mean, obviously you have a co-founder or a partner that you work with closely. It seems that you guys have a nice divide in terms of him being more on the technical side, you being more on the strategic slash operation side. Do you have a coterie of people that you speak to in terms of big picture? Is it your board? Is it a particular person? Do you just listen to your own inner voice, a combination of the above? How do you make big strategic decisions? I listen to a lot of people. Okay. So in the company, That's outside a strength. the company. That's a big strength. So I'm, I'm, I'm always uh, soliciting people's feedback. opinions okay. and feedback on the direction I'm taking. I think that's that's a big that's a big source of strength if you ask me. Not everybody's willing to solicit feedback. And how do you then di- distill that feedback to make a decision? Because obviously you'll get different people telling me different things and people as we both know are not short of opinions. Yeah, and especially our friends. So you get a lot of opinions. Uh how do you then distill uh, it to the essence? So basically I like to sleep over it. The time is of an essence. I don't like to take big decisions quickly. And I like to make big decisions at a time when I'm calm. So uh, after a meditation session, after a run, after a gym session, after a... So I like to do it, uh, the big decisions, and it could be after a week of vacation where we, I make the big decisions. Yeah. So you, one needs to calm the mind. Think of the mind as, a, as, a, as water. If it's a rough sea, and, you, and think of a stone with its ripples as the thought. If you throw the stone in a rough sea, you can't see all the ripples. But if it's a still pond and you throw a stone in it, you can see all the ripples that will come from it. So I like throwing this, the thought in a calm mind. And how uh, on earth do you create a calm mind living in Cairo and being in that business? That's not an easy feat. So what are your escape mechanisms for calmness? Please tell me. <laughs> <laughs> so, as long as it's legal if it's illegal i don't want to know but anything else i'm, I'm happy to listen they're all very very legal so <laughs> no i'm serious because so i think that's I've an important been, point you're very right so, i mean being calm and and making decisions not when you're agitated is key but in a business like yours that's very difficult i've been practicing a chinese sport that's called tai chi and qigong okay. and they help me enormously uh, and then all the other typical stuff. So uh, working out, uh, uh, working out, trying to leave Cairo every other week, uh, go to somewhere that where you have clean air and good nature. I love nature, uh, physical exercise, mobility, so on and so forth. All right. Um, one last question here that I have for you. So, uh, you know, do you see yourself always wanting to build because? there is a possibility that you succeed to the point where this company becomes a large company that is not growing at, you know, 50% a year, but has a number of profitable divisions that sort of, you know, run comfortably at a lower growth rate that's more mature. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. 
We're going to continue growing at 50 plus percent year over year. Okay. Well, I, I think if you do that, your investors will be very happy and I'll be very happy for yeah. you as well. It's um, my job to make them happy and, and, and above all, make you happy. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> Music to my ears. Munir, it's been uh, fascinating. We wish you all the best of luck. Honestly, uh, congratulations to all of the success you guys have had. It's a great story. And I can't wait to check in again on the next podcast in a year or two uh, to have uh, to have another conversation with you and hear where everything's gone. Thank you. Thank you, Hashem. It's been uh, uh, much enjoyed. It. Thanks Thank a lot. You. Thank, Thank you. you very much. All Thank the best. You. Best Thank of you. luck. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Lighthouse Conversations with me, Hashem Montasser. We're produced by Chirag Desai, and our content director is Farah Sharif. If you've enjoyed this episode, please follow us on your favorite podcast player so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. Also, feel free to browse our extensive collection of previous episodes, which you can find in any of your podcast players, including Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. You can find us on Instagram at thelighthouse underscore AE, or send us an email at connect at thelighthouse.ae. And please share a link with your friends if you've enjoyed this episode. We'll see you again in two weeks.